praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. For just a a moment, let's pause in silence to reflect on our God who we're going to praise, who is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. The fatherless no longer are. And today we are celebrating our great father who is the father of the fatherless, who's the father of the helpless, who's the father of the lost, that he draws them in through his grace by giving us his son, our great and glorious Savior. If you're new or if you are old to this church, we're so glad you're here. If you have any prayer requests, would you fill that out in a card in front of you and put it in the offering or just let us know? Or if you're new and you want to get to know us at faith or connect with us, would you also fill that out? And put it in the offering or give it to one of the ushers at the end of the service. The offering will go by in, a, in about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, here are several announcements I want to let you know about that's coming up. Okay, first of all, just real quickly, uh, greeters ministry. If you're involved in greeting on Sunday mornings or you, you're just interested in helping out in that area, we're, you're also invited. But right after the service, right down here in the fellowship hall, Pastor Russ Park will be leading that meeting. He's leading and overseeing the greeting ministry, and so we're going to be, you're going to be meeting right away after the service, so go there. Um, some of you will be greeting, but you'll hopefully leave greeting because we're all greeters. We're all inviting inviters of one another. Now, next Sunday is a little bit different and special. So over the we, last week, we sent off in prayer and thankfulness, but sadness, Pastor Wes and Lindsay. Um, I've known, we've known for several weeks before it was announced that he was moving. And so we started praying, God, who would you have for the next youth pastor, the next person that will lead both our youth and maybe even help in other areas. And we've been searching and praying. And next Sunday, we're going to have a potential candidate. He's not a candidate. He will be coming. He'll be meeting with deacons and he'll be actually in the service, him and his wife. And they will, and during the Sunday school hour, we're going to have a combined teen and all adult Sunday school hour here. So if you want to hear him, you'll have to come to Sunday school at 945. And he, it's Mike Dunford and his wife, Lori Ann. They will be here, and they will be we're sharing their testimony. I'll be asking some questions to them, and you'll be able to ask some questions. This is kind of a, God, are you in this? And we need you as a church to help us pursue what God has. Our Constitution has, when the staff, when we need to hire a staff pastor, the role of the senior pastor is to find a recommendation and bring it to the, the leadership team of the deacons and pastors, and then if they are in support, then we bring it to the congregation for a final vote. This is early stage, but we want you to help participate and pray for us, and we want to bring him before you next Sunday. So pray for him, but also you'll, you'll get his email and text and phone number, and so you can... You can ask him questions and get to know him and her. So that is next Sunday already. So be in prayer for that, and, and please come. Um, there, oh, that was a picture, by the way. I, I, I had the timing wrong on that. So um, we'll, we'll send out an email this week with, with a picture. So um, would you sign up in the lobby here for all, all, all women? There's, there's several places to sign up. There are going to be a Titus 2 women, women to women, that's going to be coming on May 5th. At Dooley's house, 
So that's coming up. There's sign up for that. There's also the sign up that is the due date is coming up pretty quickly. So you need to sign up um, after May 1st. The price goes up. It's 139. It's a women's conference in September. It would be a really good opportunity for a discipleship. There's just going to be a great, encouraging group of women coming. And so if money is a concern and that would keep you from coming, please let us know. We're going to scholarship and help you in that. Um, it'd be a, a great trip that's coming up. Okay, it's it's going to be in September, but it'll be here before you know it. And registration ends soon. Um, teens and families of teens tonight at 430, um, 430 at our house. Um, 8282 Reed Road, I think that's in the bulletin. If not, you got te- you did get a text, and so you're invited. We're going to have a great time of games and some snacks and food, and we'll probably go till, what, midnight? Do you think we'll go midnight? Oh, Molly, sa- Molly says no. I guess it's a school night, so. Okay, I'm not that extroverted. So, okay, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go till 8.30, 9.30, whatever. So, um look forward to tonight and then keep an eye just to remember on the 20th we're going to have a member if you're interested in becoming a member please talk with me uh many of you have uh, our fighter verse is on the 16 verses of the bible a whole story of the bible in 16 verses and the, this next one is on the image of god so god created man he created all things good but then he created man in his own image the image of god he created him male and female he created them let's say that together So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, before we we go and continue on singing, I want to, uh, I've been getting out little books over the last couple months, last couple weeks. I have two books in the same book that I want to give out to two people that will say, hey, in the next month or so, I'll read them. There, it's called Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. It's really good. It's a short book, only about 30 pages, but it's really practical. Seven tips of how to get the most out of a sermon and how to, how to respond when the sermon is dull. My sermons are never dull, but it might happen. And, and even if it might be unbiblical and how to think about that and how to even make sermons better, how you can help make sermons better, and how you can help, seven suggestions for encouraging good preaching. Uh, it's just a well-written, very practical, helpful book. There's even illustrations in there. I want to give these to two people that would be helped by it. And so Teresa's going to get one. I'm gonna, I want one. I've been giving out to a lot of ladies. Come on, guys, you need to read too. Okay, so I want, okay, this will go back to Teresa. So Teresa, who else will get it? Ethan will get the second one here. Thanks for stepping up, Ethan. We'll have more. We'll have some more next week. Okay, lastly, I'm going to pray now and ask God to come and, and work. We're going to sing a song in the middle of the service that's new to us. It's called His Mercy is More. Jay may say something about it in just a minute. I had the lyrics here, and I lost them. And uh, here they are. Um, in, this, in this song, we sing something that says that this, we sing these words. Our sins... They are many. His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. It it reminds me at bedtime, my little daughter, Mary, taught me this little thing. She would say, hey, daddy, daddy, um, I'll say I love you a million times around the moon. 
and you say, I love you more, or we do it vice versa. And because saying, I love you more, trumps everything else. It just, it swallows a million times around the name of my love. Our sins are many. Oh, we, we know our sins are many. But by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, His mercy is many. I hope you learn this song. If you start it this week, and I hope you lo- learn to love it because we love the theology. We love the truth of how it practically is meant to help us in our strength, in our weaknesses, in our needs. So let's pray. Oh, Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may it be with us. Father, we thank you that because of your gospel and in your gospel, the fatherless no longer are. Because of your son, you make those who are alone and hopeless and without hope, helped and family and full of hope. I'd ask that you would overwhelm us this morning with a joyful and humble sense of your goodness. As Father, in Christ Jesus, and because of the work on the cross, come, O Father, and make children this morning who are not yet your children. Would you take your children and feed them with your word as we read it and sing it and pray it and preach it and share it with others? And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus be among us this morning. May the love of you, God, surround us, and may the fellowship of your Holy Spirit be with us all now. In your Son's name, amen. See the great shepherd of our soul. You can be seated. time to 40 minutes this morning to give an announcement to buckle up for two sermons. <laughs> I'm just going to be somewhat brief. Uh, so my name is Stephen Thomas, and uh, if Shane, if you could please stand up. Uh, this is my better half, my wife, uh, Shannon Thomas. And after numerous conversations with each other, uh, Pastor Daniel the deacons, and through months of prayer, about six months ago, we, start, we decided to start an, or start a ministry called the Ministry of Hope right here in Faith. This morning, I would like to give you a small glimpse into what this Ministry of Hope is all about and invite you to hear more next Sunday at our house over dinner next Sunday at 5 o'clock. Over the past six years, God has opened my eyes and my heart to see and to be burdened for the marginalized, the fatherless, the poor, and the hopeless. And this morning, I would like to take a little bit of time and share with all of you one story that has helped shape my compassion for the hurting and the marginalized that live among us, right here in Linden, Holly, Tankton, Glamboyne, and Flint. This story actually broke my heart. Not in the moment, but as I had time to reflect on it later in life, it literally broke my heart. 
and it completely changed my outlook on the hopelessness that people face in this world and how we can possibly help them. So before coming to Faith Church a little over a year and a half ago, for years before that, I was an elder at a church called Damascus Road, and our church was in downtown Flint. One of the areas that I oversaw as an elder there was missions, specifically local missions. Our goal as a leadership team at that church, our hope was to find an area in in Flint that even the people in Flint didn't want to go to. Even the people that lived in Flint wanted to avoid. And we wanted to buy a house in a neighborhood like that and incarnate or put one of the family members from our church in that house so that we could take Jesus to the people instead of going and getting them and and wanting them to come into our environment. We would do similar to a mission field where we would take Jesus to the people. They could see us live there. They could see us interact with our families. And the way that we do things, we show them Jesus just by being who we are because we are in Jesus. So eventually, in God's providence and in His grace, He allowed us to buy two houses uh, on the same street down near Hurley Hospital near Atwood Stadium. Believe it or not, we bought both houses for less than $5,000. And they were both move-in ready. But again, they were in specific areas where most people didn't even really want to get off of the exit on the expressway, let alone find our house. And by God's grace, we did find two families in our church that after prayerful consideration, they decided to go to the mission field right inside Flint. On Thursdays, we would go to these two houses. One Thursday would go to one, and the other Thursday would go to the other, but they were literally just four houses apart. And we would do multiple things. One, we would do a prayer walk where we would walk up and down the street, and we would see people, whether they're doing yard work or whether they're doing things they're not supposed to, and we would go up to them and we would pray for them, and we would pray over them. Other times, we would do Bible studies, and those people in that neighborhood would see 15 cars come up with Bibles in their hands going, and we would do Bible studies in the front yard on the porches, so they would literally see us loving on each other and, and praying over the Word. But my story revolves really around the last thing that we would do there, and that's that we would do cookouts. On this one specific day, we bought over 400 hot dogs and hamburgers, and we went door to door for hours before this, asking people to come and let us, let us feed them. That day we gave over 400 hot dogs and hamburgers. And it's the easiest way in the world to share the gospel. There's a stranger coming and they have a plate. We have a plate of a hamburger and a hot dog and we give it to them. And their initial reaction is going to be, why are you doing this? And we get to tell them about this free gift that they have. But there's such a greater gift that we have for you. Do you have 10 minutes that I can talk to you about the greatest gift ever? So it's a softball. It's an easy way of sharing the gospel. And on that day, about halfway through the cookout, as we're sharing the gospel and sharing meals, about uh, 30 to 40 yards 
away out in the distance, and we hear screaming and yelling, and we see people running towards the screaming and yelling, and we see people running away from the screaming and yelling, and being who we were in that moment and the environment that we were in, we say to ourselves, None of us knew the gravity of the situation until about 20 minutes to 30 minutes later when cops and CSI showed up. And as the cops came down the street, the, the people in the neighborhood fled. It was just us, a bunch of white people in a very African-American neighborhood. The streets cleared, and as the cops came through, it was just us by ourselves with no understanding of what just took place. It wasn't until days later, as the families that lived in those two houses heard through the grapevine and heard what happened, that we found out that there was literally a fight over a hamburger and a hot dog that led to one person stabbing another for free food. In that moment, I realized what hopelessness looks like. See, our church didn't have money either. It took us a while to come up with the money to buy those 400 hot dogs and hamburgers, but we were able to, and we took them to the poor and the needy, to the fatherless, to the hopeless. And seeing that there are people just 10 miles from my house that are so hopeless in their current physical state that they would stab someone just to get a hot dog, that broke my heart. This is just one quick story that helped shape my heart to help to want to want to help the marginalized, the fatherless, the poor, the needy, and the hopeless. Next week, if you're Stanley's journey, you have to come to our house at five o'clock on Sunday. My story is just a teaser. In God's grace, He has allowed us the opportunity to start the ministry of hope right here in Faith. Church of Linden. And as of now, with the loving help from the people here in this body, we have three families that we already assist and or fully adopt and are actively helping them on a daily and or weekly basis. In your bulletin, I believe that you have a handout, Ministry of Hope handout, and on the on the front it has uh, a mission statement and what we were are hoping for, but if you could turn to the other side where it has the four tiers. And this is what I would love for you to prayerfully consider for next week's dinner at, at our house. Is we, we look for people based on recommendation and sometimes you just run into them as waitresses and then before you know it, you're their friends and you're watching their kids a couple times a week. We have the ability to help in so many different ways. Tier one is a full-on adoption where you would take a family or uh, a single mother and their kid and you would do your absolute best to adopt them as much as you possibly can. That's tier one. Then there's tier two where there will be multiple families together inside this church that would adopt a family. And number three, if you're not into any of that because of time or you're an introvert or you're just not interested, there's ways to give. You guys have been amazing with giving, with diapers, cribs, clothes, toys, already. And then number four, if there's a large need, we would take it to the deacons, we would take it to the church, 
and the need would be met that way. Although Jesus is the ultimate hope, and there is nothing that can bring anyone real hope outside of Jesus and the salvation that he brings, we as his children have clear commands in the scriptures to help the hopeless and ultimately point them to their Savior, Jesus. So next Sunday, we would like to invite anyone and everyone who is even the slightest bit interested in any of those four tiers to help with the ministry of hope. We would like to invite all of you to our house next Sunday at 5 o'clock. Our numbers are on that sheet, too. My cell phone number, Shannon's cell phone number, and I believe her email is on there. So if you could get in contact with us either at the church or through any of of those ways. Thank you. God's word from Deuteronomy 10, 17-21. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He, exec- he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Let's go to this God in prayer. O Lord, the God of gods and Lord of lords and our Redeemer from slavery to sin, we praise you because you are the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. You have no rival. There is none like you in power and in greatness and in perfect justice. You are the creator of all things, and all created things are lesser than you. All earthly powers and kingdoms are as nothing before you. You establish them and you tear them down when you will. And all the powers of darkness, Satan and the demonic powers, cower in fear of you. The God they have rebelled against. The God that one day will return with vengeance upon them. You are the God of God. Lord of Lords, the all-wise creator of heaven and earth, and all your wonders, which are too numerous for us to recount. Yet what a wonder it is that the God who invented matter, who spoke it into existence, the God who imagined stars, galaxies, this earth, and everything in it, the God who could have stood aloof, has stooped down in love for his creatures. And we, the human race, the highest point of your creation, made in your very image, 
though we have marred your image in us by our sin, you, you still care for us. What patience, what kindness, how worthy of you, how worthy are you of thanksgiving in our very lives. Heavenly Father, we praise you because of your care and concern for the needy. You love those with the greatest needs, the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner. You feel compassion in your heart toward them. And you've commanded us as your redeemed people to have compassion on them as well. We, your people who were once fiercely fatherless and lost, now through your Son bearing our sin and bearing our curse on the cross, are now by faith found and welcomed into your family where we have no lack. With you as our Father, you are showing us how to love like you love. And you call us, like you do yourself, to care for the fatherless and the widow and the sojourner. What a beautiful and costly calling that is for us. How little we live up to that call. Instead of caring for orphans and widows and the needy, we keep ourselves safe in the comforts of our homes. Forgive us for being so quick to provide for our wants and so slow to provide for the desperate needs of others. Instead of loving sojourners, we treat them as political points to be debated about. Our God, loving the needy is costly, but you are the God of costly sacrifice and love. Forgive us for trying to keep our lives free from discomfort. Forgive us for refusing to obey such straightforward commands as visit orphans and widows in their affliction. If we have the resources to help the needs of our brothers and sisters, yet we close our hearts against them, how can the love of God abide in us? How can we call ourselves the people of God when we do not love as He loves? Father, forgive us for our me-first mentality. Have mercy on us for our love of money and love of self. Only the atoning work of Christ is sufficient to cleanse such deep stains of sin as we have. And only through Christ can we put off our old sinful ways of living and put on the way of love that your Holy Spirit provide for us. Cleanse us for the sake of Christ. Renew us by your Spirit. Help us to love the needy around us. Give, him, give us the heart of love that you have. We pray for your blessing and for you to move in the hearts of our congregation toward this ministry of hope of loving the needy, of loving single mothers and their children, loving widows and orphans and sojourners. We pray your abundant blessing that you would reach the lost, that you would save and provide for the needs of so many through your people who are safe. We pray for our brothers and sisters this morning at Tyrone Covenant Presbyterian Church. We thank you for providing for them a new senior pastor, and we pray for his faithfulness, for his ministry, and the gospel in the world. We ask today, as we hear your word, that you would so empower Pastor Gibner that we would hear the words from your word of your very word to us and that we would be transformed.
or they can stay in the service as well, but they're dismissed and we have class. Would you turn with me to James chapter 1 on page 1011 in the Black Bible. James chapter 1 verses 18 through 27 is our text this morning. James 1, 18. Pray that God would bring us all along this morning. And okay, we just heard Stephen and Jake cried out to God on our behalf that He would give this work in our lives. So let's let's look before God's Word and hear what He has to say. James and James one eighteen says, "Of His that's God of God's own will." He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of all his creation, creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For every, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is, religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Are you a Christian? I want to ask that question to you this morning. Are you a true Christian? You see, this passage in James, as he writes to the church, He says, true Christianity transforms people in every way with the Word of God. True Christians are not perfect people. They're still sinners who sing, His mercy is more, though our sins are many. But, 
true Christians are made new and are being made new and different from the inside out by the living and abiding word of God. Real Christians who are saved have a work done. I'm getting a lot of mics here. I'm going to see if this shirt grabs it. Please excuse me. Take this off. Um, True Christians, real believers who are saved have a work done in them. Are you tired of hearing people say, I'm sick of Christianity because I've seen real Christians and they're hypocrites. Sadly to say, there are hypocrites, but sadly to say, so many of those people who are hypocrites perhaps are not Christian at all, but have Christian in their name or Christian in their label, or they have prayed a prayer, or they, quote, got saved, but they never truly were saved. James speaks to this. The application that real believers, I I left my Bible here, True believers hear this book and they hear the word and something happens to them. You have in your notes here this morning the three points that lead up to what I really want to apply to us this morning. But you see, real believers have this word and they receive this word. You received it by faith in Christ and you believed and something started to take root and you received that word and started to obey by faith. And God did this work bearing fruit in your life. Now, the fruit that takes place in a Christian life is not what makes a person a Christian. It indicates whether they truly have become a Christian in the first place. Um, if, If I did a DNA paternity test, and so did my father, to prove that I really am of my father in a biological way. Hey, is, is Harold Pack really my dad biologically? Now, would that, test, would that test make me a son? No. It would show whether I am or not the son of Harold Pax. And the scriptures say there are true indicators or tests in a person's life that prove or demonstrate authenticity. Now, this could be a in a touchy, emotional subject, because among Christians, there are some Christians that are so sensitive and subject, they hear the subject and immediately they doubt their salvation. And they shouldn't doubt their salvation because God is at work in their life. They just have a tender conscience and they're, they're burdened over it. And I pray that God in His mercy, you'll see these things and you'll see His grace and you'll see that God is working in you to strive towards and grow in these areas, though, because no one is perfect. But I do believe that there are some people that need to doubt their salvation because their salvation is not real and it's worth doubting. It could be that they are saved, but they need to doubt their salvation, that they may get on their knees and repent and look to Christ and say, Oh God, I have trusted in you, but I have wandered away and you're using this to draw me back. And your drawing back to God is an indicator that you are his child, or it might be that you're here. And I believe every church across this country in this world are filled with at least some in the the church that think that they are saved but are not and they need to be saved. My prayer is that the word of God this morning, just in this few minutes, that God would bring forth life in some of you and feed that life that's already there in most of you. There are some really encouraging and really difficult things in this passage and I pray that I would be faithful to God and God would do a work 
God's word says three things in this general passage. It says, one, Christians are created by the word. Christians are created by the word. Two, Christians are made different because of the word. And three, Christians are given tests of authenticity in this word, in this passage. The first thing is Christians are created by the word of God. If you are saved, you are a new creature. And if you're a new creature, it was because of the word of God. He says it in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of of his creatures. James is writing to the church. He's writing to believers, and he tells them about who they are. He says, do you know who you were? Who you are? You are a first fruits of a new creation. God is in this process of creating, and you believers are the first fruits in that. And you, how did it happen? God caused it. By his own will, he brought you forth. That word is a birthing language. It is, he brought, I, I did not cause anything about my birth other than I came out. I responded completely. I did not consciously respond in any way. I responded only to what God did, what biological functions happen, and so God says, you were brought forth by the word of God. You were brought forth by his will. And he says, how did this happen? By the word of truth, the gospel. You were born again, not a perishable seed, Peter says, but through the living and abiding word of God. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, don't you remember, brothers, when I preached God's word to you, the gospel came and you heard it. Maybe you heard it, and in this case, it came with power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction because God was doing something inside you. That's what we pray for your neighbor and for you and for someone else, that as they come, they would hear the gospel and they would be, it's like, huh? They wouldn't just, an argument would be one in their mind. They would realize that, oh, there is a God and atheism stupid or evolution this or that. No, that they would, inside their heart, they would come under a spiritual conviction that he is real and they are a sinner and they need a savior. And Jesus is a God and a man. He's a God-man. And that he, on the cross, took care of our sins. We could say the gospel in many, many ways. But I'm going to say it to you one time right here in 60 seconds. And I pray that if you are here and you have heard this a hundred times, that the Spirit of God would just enlighten your heart and you'd receive it. The gospel is the good news that the one and only God, who's holy, made us in His image to know Him, but we sinned and cut ourselves off from Him. In His great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law Himself and taking on Himself the punishment for our sins. And for all those who would ever turn to him and trust him, he rose from the dead showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born anew, born again to a new life, an eternal life with God, which is such glorious news. If you're created, you're now different. This passage says, number two, that Christians are made different because of the Word of God. 
Uh, it says that God's word started to do something in you. You believed it and received it. And something new happened in your life. You didn't just get a, a, a little bit of a, I got insurance of my salvation because I prayed a prayer. Because, but because God's word is actually abiding now in your life. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, he says. So you're supposed to do something about this. Now that God has done something in you, God's going to do something. And the response is you're going to obey. You're going to put away all filthiness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your soul. So he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you just hear the word and just go away, whatever, um, maybe you're not real, he says. But real people, when God's word is abiding in there, they receive meekly, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save their soul. And he says, you do that. And you, by being a doer. And by the way, when you're a doer, it's going to be difficult because at times, he says, and we're not going to get into all the, we could spend weeks on these passages. If you study this passage, he's going to say, uh, a fake person is a hearer, not a doer. He looks at the mirror, he looks at the word, hears it, hears a sermon like this, and you're going to hear three things in a minute, three things that you're called that are signs of whether you're a believer. And a, a, a hear only who's not truly real hears them and goes, that's good, and goes on. It's as though he looks at the word and goes on, and he doesn't do any changes. He feels no deep and lasting conviction, and he's not committed to the hardness, the difficulty, the challenge of what the word of God is telling him. The word will tell him, you need to say no in your life to certain things, and you need to say, say yes in other things. But a real believer is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to obey this. And it's hard. He says, but if you look at the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, the word that says you shall love God with all your heart and you persevere in it, meaning because it's not easy, you are blessed to be doers. Now, at the end of 25. Now, I'm going to rush through this because I want to get to the third thing and then I want to apply it and I want to, I hope to comfort the afflicted and I hope to afflict the comforted. Because that's what God's word wants to do for us. To afflict the comfortable that are wrongly comfortable. And to comfort the afflicted who are wrongly afflicted. Christians are given tests of authenticity in this passage. That's the point of verses 26 and 27. It says if anyone thinks he's religious. True religion is this. And in these two verses, we see that word religious religion pop up three times. It's a rare word in the New Testament. And it's a rare, it's a general word. It refers to often an outward show of worship or devotion to God. We usually in our time go, we, we even sometimes religion has become a bad word. And we say, I don't want to be religious. I want to be truly Jesus-like. Well, James is saying, if you think you're religious or truly devoted to God. If you really believe that you're godly and of God and God's living in you and working in you, he says here's three tests. He's not saying these are the only tests and if you got these three things, you're good. And he's not saying that these three things are the ways you earn your religion card and get to go to heaven. 
not saying that at all. He is assuming that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ by faith as you turn in repentance after hearing the word of God that I just spoke and you you cling to Jesus and say, you're my only Savior, my sins are many, but His mercy is more and I accept it. But if that has happened, something is going to start to to happen. I look like my parents to some degree because they're my biological parents and I didn't do anything to look like them. It's because my something that the birth, the physical birth created in my DNA, created in certain genes and all of that resemblance with my dad and mom. So it is when we are born again, there is new, new resemblances that take place Critical resemblances demonstrating the truth and reality. Here are the three tests. First test is a true Christian is growing in control of his or her words. A true Christian is growing in the control of his or her words. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives himself, his heart, this person's religion is worthless. A tongue in this passage refers, of course, to the words that we say. What do we say? How do we say them? And even your heart behind them. And do you realize that we as human beings speak about 18 to 25,000 words a day? That's a lot. Some people have said that men speak about 25,000 words a day, women about 30,000 words a day. I don't know who counted that up, but the difficulty, uh, however, that, that means that Somebody calculated that we probably could put together a 54 to 60 page book of our words every day. I'm not going to read that. And in a year, we would probably produce 66, 800 page books. If you're a normal person, you spend one fifth of your life talking. The Bible says that words are powerful. That the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. I'm, I'm reading from James chapter 3. I'm going to say this later. Every beast of the field and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and, and, and controlled in a certain way, but no human being can tame the tongue. I think James is going to say, no human being can, but God does when he starts to do a work internally in us. Our tongue is meant to bless the Father and the Lord and others, but we use it to curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The Bible says that our words are actually not rude, but truth. You see the big deal about this. You'd say, well, of all the things, why would James say a test of true Christianity is words? I know a lot of Christians that talk like the world. Yes, James would say, you have no conviction over that when you are confronted with it, you may not be a Christian. Whether it be gossip or slander or complaining or grumbling or cursing. Because Jesus said in Matthew 15 that words, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And God is just going to say, when true religion or true faith and true Godness comes into our lives, He starts to change our words from the inside out. It's a process. It's not an event. It takes place over time. His changing work. 
John MacArthur says this. It's kind of interesting. You probably remember as a child, I do, whenever I went to the doctor, my parents would take me to the doctor. The first thing the doctor would say is, let me see your tongue. James is saying the same thing. Let me see your tongue. The nurse puts a thermometer under your tongue and tells you your physical temperature. Jesus says, or James says, your tongue itself will take your spiritual temperature. So your words to your spouse, to your parents, to your kids, to your church, and Facebook, Instagram, and text, do they reveal the goodness of God, His beauty, His kindness, His word? Are you a living commercial for Jesus Christ in the way you talk? Oh, believer, we, friend, brother, and sister, we are called to have words that are under control and for others, not against others, and not for ourselves. Young people, we live, we live in an age where everybody is just, just language that tears down, is just always silly, meme-like, and, and, and not helpful in building up. We're quick to mock we see it in the news, we see it with our politicians, and God's people should not be like politicians or like the world, unless the world and politicians happen to be like God in His truth, tellingness, and goodness. How are you doing? Have you given God your words? If your words need to be laid down at the altar and say, oh God, I need a rescuer right now. Help my words. How would my neighbor and how would my coworker and how would my friends, what kind of picture of Jesus would they get from my words? James says, your words matter. Your words, you have no bridling of your tongue. Your, your religion works. Two, a true Christian is growing in his or her activity for the helpless. This is why I got into this passage. I mean, we were going to talk about the, we were going to talk about ministry of hope. Stephen was going to share these things, and I wanted to challenge you to say, we got to care about these things. We need to care about widows and orphans and single mothers and immigrants, and we need to care for those in great, uh, greatest need, those that are helpless and hopeless. He says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father. You want to know what God loves and sees as beautiful and real and authentic? It's when you trust Christ and are saved, yes. It's when you believe and start gathering with the people of God, yes. He'll assume that thing. But He's going to say, your lives are no longer selfish. Your no, lives no longer love yourself more than others, but instead your lives start to take on a love and a, and a, sim, a, a carrying off of what Jesus has done for us and what the Father has done for us. Father is the father of the fatherless, and so the ones that he makes his sons and daughters, he starts to make them like that too, slowly and surely. This passage says a true test of a Christian is that they're growing in selflessness, selflessness so that it manifests in ways that care for the needs of others, especially those the most desperate and unable to help you back. James is going to say, if you want to really fulfill the law of the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself if you're doing well. But if you show partiality and you, you help and love those and are a friend and you have over those that just are easy to get along with, then they'll help you back and they're going to have you over again. Uh, forget that. 
James even says, if you're a brother or sister, and that's within this church, if you know that they're in need, and there are some in here that have needs, we need to get to know them so we can know their needs. And you say, go and have peace, and I'm going to pray for you without giving them the things for their body. We'll get it done. So also faith by itself, it does not work, it's dead. First John says, the mark of someone who's been born of God, one, lays down his life for his brothers, sisters. We, most of us, by a historic standard in the world, almost all of us are very rich, historically speaking, compared to everyone in the world in history. We have little needs compared to most people that have. For many, the lack of capacity to help others is actually because we waste it on other things and our own passions. This passage says that each, this passage meddles with our lives. This passage should convict each one of us not to earn our salvation or our assurance of salvation, but it should, should say, is the love of God abiding in us? And if so, you need to change your life and you need to change your spending habits, your time and energy and money in order to help those around you. And if you say, but I don't know anybody that has needs, that's part of it. We need to. We need to get to know those needs. And the ministry of hope provides a great opportunity to do that. There, we, we provide you no escape of excuse. You can help in one of those tiers, and you should pray, God, would you touch me in these tiers, these tiers of, of involvement? In fact, I do believe that the, the Christian that wants to let the love of God flow into their, out of their lives, they are going to make choices in their life, not just to give out of their abundance. Oh, I really actually am saving this, and I can actually help other people. They, they change their behaviors and they live tighter and they forego other expenses so that they can help those that are in need. Could it be that God would want us to sacrifice like he did? Like the son? Yeah. C.S. Lewis, a mere Christianity, said it this way so well. I, don't, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give to helping need people in need. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than you can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts and luxuries, amusements, is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities, our, our giving out to the needy, do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say we're, they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them surely does not mean that God doesn't want us to enjoy the gifts that God has given to us, that we do that. We have no problem doing that. We are blessed in our need when we seek to love one another. God is the Father of the fatherless. In the gospel, the fatherless no longer are. The gospel comes with a house key for one another. The gospel comes with open pocketbooks as we care for one another. Our wallets are reaching out to the needy. God's people are redeemed, and they have God's word and love of God starting to waken up in them a new desire to 
help one another, not in order so God will love them, but because God already does love you. The last thing he says is, a true Christian is growing in his distinctiveness from the world. He says in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans and widows. And then he says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, I think what he's saying here is, all these fit together. We don't help orphans and widows because we're stained by the world. And I'm not talking about, I, I grew up, okay, there's a fundamentalism and a legalism that really hurt people. And they talk about worldliness all the time. And they mean by worldliness, they might talk about wearing a suit or a collar or skirt to the knee or no cards or movie theaters or Bible that forbids any alcohol consumption or Harry Potter or fashion or beards or makeup or pants on women. That's not worldliness, necessarily. It might be. I tell you, worldliness is a problem. James says, a mark of a true believer is they start to, they're, they're distinct from the world. That's, that's what a true Christian is. They care about having a distinctiveness from the world. The problem, the world in James is not the people of the world. We should, we should have deep and growing friendships with unbelievers People that you would, that you strongly disagree with, their lifestyle or their orientation. The way, worldliness is a way of viewing the world as the main and important thing, rather than God. Haven't you felt that sometimes where you pray, you go to church, you worship, and then you go to the real world? And all these things may seem unreal. Worldliness is this seeming unreal later on. God says that we are to not be stained by the world. What stains us in the world? The love of money. The American dream being our passion. I want to have this and I want to have retirement. I want security. I want satisfaction. I want two kids and a dog. The love of sinful things. This world wants to pull us into laughing at things that are soul-destructive. In movies and TV shows that are on Netflix or Prime or on network television or cable, they numb us and they turn our minds towards loving and laughing at things that God gave His Son to free us from and free this world from. The world wants to lull us to sleep and act like God doesn't really exist, at least at that moment. And to go so much part of our life and our days as though God doesn't exist, and then we get into the God setting again on Sundays or at certain moments when we have devotions. Paul says, James says, oh, a mark of a believer of real religion is that you're, you're not letting the world stain you, you're fighting against it because you know that its desires are so fleeting and they're a bunch of lies. But God is real and He's glorious and He's working and He saved you and He rescued you. The world says that money brings security and satisfaction and significance. The world says that we must have our best life now. The world says we need the American dream. The world says that we can make a deal with sin and fit right in the world. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're a salt. But if salt has lost its saltiness, the world's offers are absolutely deceptive. They, they're tricksy. They're, they're lies. 
they make us buy into it for just a second and it curses us and leaves us empty. The world says that your money is yours. It's not. God says your money is mine and it's for your neighbor. The world says that the popular culture of the world is fun. God says you must be really careful because the culture is foolishly against God. Our drinking and eating must be to the glory of God. Our speaking must be like God and not the world. Our values must be so different, manifested in how we spend our time and our energy and our money and everything. Sports are, can be a gift from God. They can build character. They can develop certain opportunities and relationships with others. But sports are, are a gift that we should use as a servant of God and for the body of Christ and not turn it into something for our own passion. You might be sitting here morning and saying, mm, I struggle and often fail in each one of those tests, Pastor Daniel. I can't say I uh, feel real great about my use of my tongue all the time. I'm, uh, I'm not adopting somebody or working on charity like I should. I can barely keep afloat in my life. And boy, towards the world, ouch. Am I a Christian? I think it all depends on how this passage impacts you. When God's word hits us, does it, does it move our convictions and desire to obey him and repent of our sins and run to Christ and thank him for his mercy and not flood us with just lasting guilt and you say, okay, I trust in Christ, thank you, you died for me. And God, I, I've been not living in accord to, I mean, you did this for me. Why would I talk this way? You've done this for me. Why am I not looking towards my neighbor or my friend or for the poor and hopeless like I ought. Oh God, I need to love you. And the world keeps me from loving you. The system of this world. When the word of like this confronts you, what's your response? Oh, I hope this morning. There might be some of you that go, God's drawing you to himself. He's saying, be converted this way. For many of you and most of you, you'll be like, oh God, thank you for saving me. Help me to now be a doer of the word in response to hearing the word. Help me to persevere in it by, by trusting in you. When you discover that you're falling short, how do you react? Do you hate your sinful way and want to change? That's the mark of a believer. I'm going to conclude with this. Titus 2 says, the grace of God is here. The grace of God is here. His mercy is more, we sang. I'll sing here many, but His mercy is more. Bringing salvation to all kinds of people, of all races and of all tribes and lands. But this is what this grace does. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions because they are just deadening and, and joy-robbing. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, all the joy is coming. And we're waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who, look what he did for me. Here's the grace. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. This grace purifies a people to himself for his own possession who are what? Zealous for all good works. 
if the grace of God cleans our tongues from the inside out, if the grace of God that makes us mercy doers towards other people, the helpless and the homeless and the impoverished, if the grace of God that says, I I can't afford numbing my mind on the world, I I want to be unstained, I want to seek Him, I'm so ready. We're going to pray and we're going to sing in response as we close this service. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. God, oh God, I pray that you would give us clean hands and a clean heart. Help us to not turn our eyes to another. Help us not to turn our hearts and our minds towards the deadening, numbing things of this world. Oh God, I pray that we'd respond. Many could be called to go next week to, to Stephen and Shannon's ministry of hope. And I pray that... I, I pray that it would just be some guilt trip for one week, but God, you would use your word and your people to keep us persevering and looking to your grace, looking to your help. Oh God, thank you that you save us. Thank you that not one of these three things is something that ever comes out by our own works and by our own human effort alone, but by your help in us. All our obedience is from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Together. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And God's people said,